The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Well, we've got a friendly bunch this morning. I like it. I like what I see. Well, hey, we've reached the point in our service where we're going to move into a time in God's Word. We value the God of Word here at Story City. We preach the Word of God. We proclaim the Word of God. We believe that the Word of God has the loudest voice in this church and that what it says is perfect and right and true. And so we turn our attention every week for about 30 minutes to the word of God. So if you pray with me before we do that, we'll jump in together. Father, as I look out this morning, I see your work, I see your faithfulness. I see your goodness. So Father, now, as we just sung, would you remind us that your mercy is more, that your mercy is the greatest thing that any of us have ever known, and that it's a great gift. Glorify Jesus now. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know uh, how you heard about what's happening here at Story City. Perhaps you drove by and saw our new white sign or the building being renovated. Perhaps some of you got a flyer in the mail. I don't know what way or another, but as I prayed over and thought over, where do we start this morning as a church? Our first official service as a church, where should we start? And what's the thing I hope people know when they walk away? It's written on the screen behind me. I'm going to preach this morning on the reality that Jesus matters most, that Jesus is the most important thing in the church. But I want to start with a question this morning. What matters the most to you in life? What's the most important thing in your life? So we're getting very existential, very deep, very quick this morning. What is the most important thing in your life? That thing that if you lost it, you just would think, I don't know who I am anymore. I I don't know what to do with myself without this thing. The reason I want to start there this morning is because Whatever the answer to that question is will ultimately decide everything we do in life. It will ultimately be the thing that drives every decision we make. And many of you are here this morning feeling out, is this a church for me? Is this, this new thing starting in Granada Hills a place where I'd like to put roots down? And ultimately, that, the answer to that question is going to be driving what you're looking for in a church. So if at the bottom, at the deepest level of your soul, at your heart, the most important thing to you is comfort and entertainment, you likely walk through our doors this morning going, is this church going to be comfortable? Is it going to enter- entertain? Is it going to be a place that's, uh, that feels like a good fit for me? If, if the most important thing to you is community, if you're looking for community, you probably walked into our doors this morning saying, let's see what sort of community is here. Let's see what sort of people are here. And so the thing that is most important to us drives our lives. And I wonder what the most important thing in our culture is. What's the thing that drives our culture? Well, for that answer, I'd like to consult a modern sage, if you will a prophetess. Uh, She goes by the name of Elsa. She's the princess of Arendelle. (laughs) She said this, the wind is howling like a swirling storm inside. Couldn't keep it in. Heaven knows I've tried. Don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl you've always had to be. Conceal. Don't feel. Don't let them know. Well, now they know. Let it go. Let it go. Turn away and slam the door. Let it go, let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. I don't care what they're going to say. Let the storm rage on. The cold never bothered me anyways. It's funny how some distance makes everything, I don't need this. It's funny how some distance (laughs) makes everything seem small and the fears that once controlled me can't get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do. 
to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Did you hear that? Hidden within these words from Disney that I hear 12 times a day because I have a five-year-old daughter and a three-year-old daughter (laughs) is Disney's effort to show us what our culture says life is about, what matters most, and what is it? No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. See, our culture preaches a narrative tells us that the single most important thing in life is self-autonomy, the right to self-define, the right to define our own existence and make our own rules, our own truth. And Elsa says here, I have discovered that I am free, and in my freedom, I have discovered the pinnacle of existence, the thing that matters most. So let's flesh this out, because this is just the reality that our culture tells us. Our culture tells us self-definition, self-fulfillment, self-fees, self Treat yourself, whatever it is. Our culture says this is what culture, this is what life is about. But let's think about, let's put flesh on these bones, okay? That means that every morning we wake up in a city of 19 million people, all living for self, all with the impetus and drive behind their life being self-fulfillment, self-gratification. So we wake up in a city of 19 million people sharing resources, sharing drinking water, sharing grocery stores, sharing, sharing highways. Can I get an amen? Sharing Uh, sharing supermarkets, sharing shopping malls, sharing parking spaces. And when we live with self at the center, everyone around us becomes a competitor, an inconvenience to our right to our self-existence. But life is about something different. We at this church do not believe that the pathway to joy, the pathway to fulfillment is self-definition and self-fulfillment. We believe that it's a surrender to a proper king, to a true and proper king who has made the world, designed the rules for how a life is properly lived and fulfilled, and that king at this church is Jesus Christ. And we are going to get into Colossians 1:15 through 20 this morning that talks about who Jesus Christ is is this church that you have walked into exalts Jesus Christ, preaches Jesus Christ, lifts up Jesus Christ, and we do it every week because self-definition is not our God, it is not our reason. We are here to surrender to a king who will lead us to life. We're a church that is very proud of our Jesus. We're not gonna try to change him, we're not gonna try to dress him up, we are going to proclaim him as his word presents him, and I want you to walk out this morning knowing that. See, there are a few different things the church tends to make make the church tends to be about than Jesus. Things we look for sometimes coming in. Sometimes some of us come to church and what we know of church is a religious ritual, right? We come and we, we clean ourselves up. We, we hide the, the skeletons in our closets away and we, and we make ourselves look clean. We, we turn church into a country club for saints, right? Like we come, but really what this church is established to be is a hospital for sinners. A place where we can come and say, we're not okay, but Jesus is Sometimes we value authenticity on the other end, right? I, I, I'm a millennial, barely, I made the cut. And as a millennial, sometimes we value authenticity. Like, the worst thing that you can be as a millennial is inauthentic, right? The worst thing, if you walked out of this church, the worst thing you could say about me as your pastor is if you got to read, I don't think he means what he says. He's inauthentic. But hear me, authenticity, while good and necessary, is not an end in itself. Authenticity, authenticity is to meant to be a catalytic moment that will lead us to discipleship and change and confession and growth in Jesus Christ. We are authentic not for the sake of authenticity, but for the sake of growth and facing ourselves and turning towards Jesus. 
Church can be made about community. The church can be made about self-help and self-improvement. Whatever we tend to make the church as. And listen, community is good. Self-improvement is good. We're a church, though, that believes that getting to Jesus Christ, lifting him up, seeing him, beholding him, abiding in him, as he says in his word in John 15, is the pathway to all of these things, that they're byproducts of Jesus in our lives. Without further ado, let's get to the word of God this morning. Colossians 1, 15. If you have your Bibles, open them up, says this. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Who is Jesus to you this morning? Who is Jesus? None of us walked into this room with blank slates. We all have some preconceived notion that comes up in our minds when we think of Jesus. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So to some in this room, Jesus may bring up this memory of a very ritualistic religion that you grew up in. You went to church every week and you sang songs. You may have put on robes. You may have lit candles, whatever you did. But you went home and your home was in disarray. There was anger at home. There was uh, there was. There was drinking at home, whatever it was. And so you, you were in a part of a family where Jesus was lifted up, but then there was no actual transformation at home. And so to you, Jesus brings up this memory of this empty, vain ritual. Is that what Jesus is? To some, Jesus is this sort of detached policeman in the sky where, where you just constantly, just to think of Jesus brings guilt and shame rushing in because you grew up believing and thinking that Jesus wasn't for you, but was a policeman to police your behavior. To some of us in this room, Jesus is viewed as a crutch that weak people use to stand up who can't face the fact of life after death. Karl, Karl Marx said it, faith in Jesus is the opiate of the masses. It's some pipe dream weak-hearted people believe in. C.S. Lewis said this, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. Here's what Lewis is getting at. Unlike Karl Marx says, Christianity is a religion with some hard teachings. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. So to properly un understand Christianity would undo what Karl Marx said. To some, Jesus, and I would think this is most of us. To some of us in this room, the preconceived notion we brought into Jesus is just not much of a notion at all. We just don't think about him that much. You know, Jesus was a good person. He said some good stuff, he did some good things, a prophet maybe even, but we don't really give him too much time of day, too much thought. You know, believing that Jesus was simply a good person but not actually God is the single most incoherent stance you can take about Jesus. You wanna know why? Because Jesus himself said he was God. He said he was equal with the Father. He said he was eternal. And you know, I can think of a lot of responses I would have to someone who came up to me in my life and said, hey, guess what? I'm not even kidding you, I'm God. I would have a lot of responses, but I don't think one of them would be to go to my friends afterwards and go, he seems like a neat guy. <laughs> no. If you claim to be God, you're either a liar, you're either crazy and actually think you are, or you actually are God. So Jesus is either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he is the most high God incarnate on heaven. He's one of these three things, and you cannot have it any other way. I want to give us four reasons this morning why Jesus matters most in this church and why Jesus matters most in life and why I believe that Jesus is the thing you're looking for. 
The first one is this. Jesus matters most simply because he is supreme in essence. Now let's define essence. Essence is something's intrinsic nature. It's its indispensable quality. It's something abstract that, deter- that determines its character. Jesus is different than us in who he is, in his nature. Colossians 1.15 says it. It says, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. So in the same way that we would hold a diamond in one hand and a rock in the other, a common garden rock, and say this diamond is of more value, its essence is more powerful, more valuable, we would look at Jesus and say, we are We are created beings with the image of God, the Imago Dei built into us. But we are not the only begotten Son of God, Jesus. Jesus is different in his nature than us, and it makes him more valuable in the same way that a diamond is more valuable than a rock. According to the Bible, no man can see God in his full glory unless God chooses to reveal himself. This is why Jesus is so important. How do we see God? How do we know God? 1 Timothy 6.16 says that God is the one who is immortal, who lives in inapproachable, unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. This creates a problem for us. How can we know God? How can we relate to God? If there is a God, how can we know who he is? How can we know what he's like? How do we know who we're worshiping when we come into church and sing these songs? Answer, God has disclosed himself to us. God has chosen to reveal himself to you if you know him. He's disclosed himself to us in his word and through his son, Jesus. Hear me this morning, church. To see Jesus Christ the real human being who lived on planet Earth 2,000 years ago is to see God, the infinite, the eternal. It is to behold him in his glory. It's to see the character of God. It's to see the love of God. It's to see the mercy of God. So you know I'm not making this up. Colossians 2.9 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Hebrews 1.3 says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Aren't you glad to know this morning God hasn't chosen to stand at a distance to leave us on our own. He has drawn near to us this morning through his son who left his place at the right hand of God in glory, chose to put on flesh and come to earth, live a perfect life, die an unjust death that he chose in his place, laying his life down for us on a cross, rose in glory three days later from the tomb and ascended into heaven where he will return to ransom and bring his church back into glory. Aren't you glad this morning God has done all that and not left us alone, not left himself unknowable, not made himself a mystery. To look at Christ is to know God. To see Jesus is to see the invisible Father. This is good news for us this morning. And this is why we are so serious about Jesus at this church. This is why Jesus is the main thing. So what is, let's put a few defining terms here on Jesus' essence. Who is Jesus according to the Bible? Who is this God that we worship? Well, there's so much we could say. But first, I want to say this. Jesus is co-eternal with the Father. Jesus was not created. He has what theologians would call, big fancy word here, a seity. 
Aseity, A-S-I-E-T-Y. And what that means is he's self-sustaining. He's self-sufficient. He's the causeless causer. He had no creator. Jesus is eternal. We see this. We can know this. In Colossians 1.17, it says that all things have been created through Jesus, meaning this. He was uncreated because all things were created through him. Secondly, Jesus is co-equal with the Father. Jesus is co-equal with the Father. John 10.30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. John 14.9, Jesus says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is equal to the Father. And I just want to say this. Every religion does something with Jesus. You can't just avoid him because he's a historical figure. He actually lived. He actually died. The resurrection, a man actually came back from the dead. There's documentation. It actually happened. And so every religion does something with Jesus. In Islam, they turn him into a prophet. He's a good prophet. He's a good teacher. But he's not eternal. He's not co-eternal. He's not created. In Mormonism, we take Jesus. We even preach parts of the gospel. But we change it just a little bit. So Jesus is a son of God, not the only begotten son of God. And the reason this is so important and the reason this is the enemy's scheme to change the Jesus and these other religions is because when you take the character of Jesus away, when you turn him into someone he's not, you rob us of our hope of salvation and justification and glorification before God because only the eternal son of God could bear the price through his perfect life and death for our sins on the cross. And so when you remove and change and morph in any small way the character of Jesus, when you say he's not eternal, when you say, he's un, when you say he was a created being, you remove the power from the gospel. And this is why the enemy is so content. He's fine. You can have Jesus. We're just going to change him a little bit. He can have Jesus. We're just going to make him a little different because hidden in Jesus, in the fullness of who he is, the eternal son of God, is our hope, is our joy, is our, is our hope of eternity and, and glory. Lastly, Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, and we could preach a month of sermons on this. But let me just say this. God is a mystery. We sing it this morning. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Spirit, three in one. Jesus is the second person of the Holy Trinity. There is a Father, there is a Son, Jesus, and there is a Holy Spirit who fills all believers who come to Jesus through faith and gives us the ability to be sanctified, i.e. live out the Christian life. And Jesus sits at the right hand of God in glory right now. He's sitting there as we gather in this church in Granada Hills. He's the second person of the Trinity. The first reason Jesus matters the most is because he is supreme in essence, because of who he is. The second reason Jesus matters the most is because he is the ultimate authority. He is the ultimate authority. Read with me verses 16 and 17. For in him all things were created, things on heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Paul gives us here two categories of authorities that Jesus has authority over. One of them is called rulers and authorities. It says that Jesus created all rulers and authorities, and they were literally created for him. This, in, in this term, if we get into the Greek, Paul is alluded to kings and rulers of this world. He's referring to presidents. He's referring to kings. The rulers and kings of this world, it says this. They were created to serve Jesus' purposes. Now hear me. I live in 2020 with you. I know that we're in a heightened political moment in our culture right now, a little divided. And I want to say this. Whether you are here this morning and you want to feel the burn, or you are here this morning and you want to keep America great. Whether you are here this morning in any place in that spectrum, hear me. Whoever is president of the United States serves the purposes Jesus Christ wants him to serve because Jesus is on the ultimate throne, always. 
And because he created all authority, because he has all authority, because he is the ultimate authority, and these men are pawns in his mighty hands. He is ruling with his feet up in absolute control. And hear me, it is unbecoming of Christians when we live like he's not. Whether we're living that way on Facebook, whether we're speaking that way in public, one of the great privileges of being a Christian is knowing Jesus, and in knowing Jesus, knowing exactly how this story ends. We know how this thing ends. It ends with Jesus on a throne. It ends with the ransom to have trusted him by faith in glory with Jesus for eternity and us fully safe and secure in him. Hear me, your security's not in Bernie. Your security's not in Donald Trump. Your security this morning is in Jesus Christ. The second group that we get here is thrones and powers, thrones and powers, thrones and powers, whereas rulers and authorities says Jesus has authority over the men and kings of this world. Thrones and powers says this, there are demonic and angelic forces that were created and they all serve Jesus' purposes. Get this, Jesus is sovereign, he's in control over every force in the invisible spiritual realms. Now, uh, we have this fixation in our culture with horror movies, don't we? Like, we just love horror movies. You can't, we can't get enough of them for some reason. You may not, but I'm telling you, the millennial generation loves horror movies. That's why they're coming out 10 a week. And you want to know why? We have this view in horror movies where, like, there's somehow an actual, like, even keel battle between Jesus Christ and, and God and these demons. And so we got the exorcist. You know, there's pea soup sitting out, spitting out all over the place. Heads are turning. And, and there's this battle, and there's this poor priest that's going to get the crud beat out of him by a demon that's... Hear me, that is not how it works. James 2.19 says that even the demons know that Jesus is God and they tremble. Anytime that a demonic force came into contact with Jesus, they started declaring who he is and said, have you come to cast us out now? Is it our time, Jesus? Please leave us alone. Jesus has power over the demonic forces of this world and he has power over the angels. And we are told in scripture to resist we are told that our enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to destroy. But we can know this. Jesus is in control of all forces of darkness and all forces of light, and they serve his ends. We read in verse 17 that all things were created through him and for him. Hear me back to our intro this morning. That means this. That means that, you, that, that, that this, it wasn't, this world wasn't created for you. It wasn't created for me. It was created for Jesus, and that's good news. Let me tell you why. Why that's good news? Because no one ever stood on the floor of the Yosemite Valley and looked up at El Capitan and Half Dome and Yosemite Falls and went, I'm awesome. <laughs> but simultaneously, no one ever stood on the floor of the Yosemite Valley and looked at the beauty God's created and went, eh, kind of boring. Why? Because we were made for self-forgetfulness. We were made to lose ourselves in something greater than ourselves. We were made to lose ourselves in majesty and in losing ourselves, forgetting wretched self as we behold something greater than ourselves, we find our significance and we find our meaning. And everything was not created for you. The most miserable person on planet Earth is the navel-gazing person. Oh, poor me. Listen to me. When we look out beyond ourselves to the one who things actually were created for, we find ourselves. We find joy, we find meaning, we find life itself. 
The most free person on planet earth is the individual most gladly and wholly surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, and we're going to move quickly here, Jesus matters most because he is the head of the church. Jesus matters most because he's the head of the church. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Listen, something I hope you leave saying this morning about our church. They seem like a church that doesn't take themselves very seriously, but they take Jesus incredibly seriously. That'd be the highest compliment you could pay me as a pastor. Say, Pastor, you don't take yourself very seriously, but you're dead serious about Jesus. Because Jesus matters most in this church. I hope you leave this morning saying this church is alive as well, that there's vibrancy and spiritual vitality in this church. But hear me, only the church that has Jesus as the head has vitality, and churches start to die when Jesus is severed from the church. And he's replaced with men who lead in without communion and abiding relationships with him. Colossians 2.19 says they have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Scripture paints the church as a body. You and I are part of a body. You might be an arm. I might be a leg. You might be a neck. Somebody in here is an armpit. We're all part of a body, but Jesus is the head. And I'm not a medical doctor. I've done no medical school, but I know this. When a head gets severed from the body, it's a bad day for the body. It's a bad day for the body. Hear me. Jesus is the head of this church. And as long as Story City Church exists, Jesus Christ and the word of God will be preached, proclaimed, and Christ will be lifted high. And the day that you come to this church and that stopped happening is the day you have my permission to go find another church. Jesus must be on the throne in the church for there to be vitality. Fourthly and lastly, Jesus matters the most because only he can reconcile us to God. Jesus matters the most because only he can reconcile us to God. Verse 20, 19 and 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on, things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Last time I stood on this stage uh, was uh, January 26th. And as I stood on this stage preaching, there was a helicopter that flew over this church. That helicopter crashed just a matter of miles from here. There were nine souls on that helicopter. Among them were Kobe and Gianna Bryant. I walked off the stage and Bob in the sound booth said, Kobe Bryant died. That morning I was preaching on the reality that life is fleeting, that it's a vapor, that James 4.14 says it's here in the morning and gone the next, and the reality that Jesus Christ is the meaning, and I walk off to that news, and I want you to hear me this morning. That morning, Kobe and Gianna Bryant, and I'm a massive NBA fan, by the way. Kobe and Gianna Bryant woke up. They brushed their teeth just like you and me. They put on their pants one leg at a time just like you and me, going through a normal day just like you and I went through this morning. Little did they know. Little did they know. There was going to be fog that morning. Their helicopter was going to go down. And the tissue paper of this world was going to be torn. And they were going to plunge into eternity before a living God. Hear me. We are not as secure as we think. Hebrews 9.27 says this. Just as people are destined to, to die once. And after that to face judgment. And I want to ask you this morning. When you stand before God, what's going to be your reasoning and your justification before him of why he should welcome you into heaven? 
Are you going to stand before him and go, God, I worked really hard my whole life for the, the, the good works on the good side of the scale to outweigh the bad stuff. Will you let me in? Uh, there's a pastor and a preacher named David Martin Lloyd-Jones who said he had a litmus test when he asked people if they knew Jesus and if they were a Christian. He said he would simply walk up to them and he would ask them, are you a Christian? And if they answered anything that sounded like this, well, I'm, I try. I'm trying to be a Christian. It was an immediate tell that they didn't yet get the heart of the gospel. You want to know why? Because being a Christian is not something you try to do by your good works. Christians are people who know that we don't just need to repent of the stuff we did on our worst day, but we must repent of our righteousness. We must repent of the things we did on the best day because even those are filthy rags in the sight of God. And there's no amount of good works we could compile to get the ladder high enough to reach to the throne of Jesus in acceptance. There must be a substitution. There must be someone who pays the price on our behalf, and that person must be perfect. He must be co-eternal with God. He must be Jesus, and that's exactly what God did through his son, Jesus Christ. He came to earth, lived a perfect life. You've failed to live. I've failed to live. He felt every temptation, every weight of sin that you have felt, every weight of sin that I have felt, and he withstood it all to the very end. Then he was betrayed by those closest to him, led to a rugged cross where he was nailed with thorns uh, pressed into his brow and he bled out. And some of his last words were this, to the very people that were crucifying him, proving how gracious he is, get this. To the very people that drove nails through his hands, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Can you imagine standing there as a soldier in that moment who'd just driven nails through Jesus' hands and hearing that? We sang this morning that Jesus welcomes the weakest. He welcomes the vilest. He welcomes the poor. Hear me, that's us. He welcomes us by his life and death on the cross. God poured all of his just wrath towards sin out on Jesus. A good God cannot leave sin unpunished. And God must punish sin because he is incredibly good. He is awesome. So he pours his sin out on his beloved son out of love for us. And then in that moment, he pours his righteousness, his goodness, Jesus' perfect record out on you and me when we come to Jesus by faith so that we stand before God robed in the righteousness of Jesus forever. Forgiven, hear me, not trying anymore. No longer having to prove ourselves, no longer having to posture ourselves. There is now no longer, I'm trying, but are you, when you see the beauty of Jesus and the grace of Jesus, you start trying. But it's not out of guilt, it's not out of hiding, it's not out of fear, it's out of desire, it's out of love, it's out of seeing him for who he is. So what matters the most to you in life? Where are you searching for satisfaction? Where are you searching for meaning? Is it in your kids? Is it in your spouse? Is it in your job? You know, the most sad place to be on planet Earth is to be in a position where you're looking to more of what has already failed you for happiness. Well, alcohol didn't bring satisfaction. The pills I'm popping didn't bring satisfaction. Netflix and zoning out last night worked for a few hours, but it didn't bring satisfaction. I still, I still feel empty inside. You know what I'll do? I'll watch more Netflix. I'll drink more. I'll pop more pills. Perpetual cycle of brokenness, of dysfunction in our lives. Turn this morning. What you are looking for is not found in more of what you already have. What you are looking for is found in Jesus. What this church is looking for is found in Jesus. And only he can satisfy Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus. This church will be built on Jesus. 
Your church has been built on Jesus. Your word is Jesus. John tells us that in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God and the word is Jesus. Your logos, your power is Jesus. So build your church through Jesus. You know, God, you can't build it through me. You know you can't build it through sleek services. You know you can't build it through good coffee. So build it through Jesus. And for every soul, every searching soul in this room this morning, open their eyes, Ephesians 1.18, unblind their eyes to behold the glory of your Son to know the hope that you've called us to when we come to you by faith, to know that you stood beneath a death we, a debt we could never pay ourselves and you paid it in full so that we can come to you freely and have no guilt and start being honest about who we are. Enjoy. Jesus, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.